There's almost nothing more special and meaningful than a baby being born. Babies are cute, lovable, and precious to you and your family. The moment they are born holds such value and significance. I remember the birth of my two little girls. Those are two days that I will just never forget. They changed my life forever. In the months leading up to the days that they were born, I spent hours thinking and dreaming. I had so many ideas and plans for my little girls. I wondered what their personalities would be like, who they would look like, how they would act, and how much I hoped and prayed they'd be like their mom. I had plans for their entire life, what type of college they would go to, what type of husbands they would marry, and how much their wedding was going to cost me. Even as we went through the adoption process with our son Malachi, I dreamed and hoped about the man he would become. I just love dreaming about the future. And I'll just admit, I'll be honest, I had my kids' lives planned before they were ever even here. And it's Christmas, and we're all here to celebrate. Ultimately, what we're celebrating is the birth of a baby. A baby whose father had a plan for his life too. But none of us would make a plan like this one. Christmas story begins here in Bethlehem with a baby being born. And many of us have heard this story before. Honestly, there was a lot about it that was just normal. A first time mother going through an experience of giving birth and a dad doing his best to just help her through it. But this wasn't just any baby. This baby's future had been predicted long ago. This baby was sent to this earth with a plan and there was no guessing or dreaming about what the future might hold for him. He had a purpose, he had a path, he had an agenda. If you look back at Jesus' life, it doesn't look like the path of someone headed for greatness. He was born into a poor family in a rural community. His education level was standard at best. He never commanded an army, won an election, or held any position of power. Probably the most confusing moment of all was the moment that happened here. This is the garden tomb, where some believe the body of Jesus was laid after his crucifixion. This is the place where all hope for an agenda being fulfilled was lost for those who were followers of Christ. The one who had made great claims about what he would accomplish, and he seemed so full of divine purpose, was suddenly and swiftly executed. This couldn't have been the plan, right? They were praying for a savior, and they thought he was here, but now he was gone? Finished? Dead? This couldn't have been the plan. Why would God send his son only for him to die? For a few days, this is what those close to Jesus wrestled with. Did God's plan end in failure? With an ending like this, did God make a mistake? Why would God make a plan that involves the Savior dying? 
something much greater was taking place. Jesus' death wasn't in vain. It was the climax in the unfolding of God's plan to bring us all something that we desperately needed. This time of year, we're focused on the beginning of Jesus' life. And if you look at the text of the Christmas story, you'll see something amazing. In Matthew 1, we read this prediction about the birth of Jesus. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. What we discover is that Jesus was predicted to save the world from sin, to function as the Savior. So why am I here at a tomb? Could it be that his death was on purpose? Could it be that this place where Jesus' dead body was laid in the ground was an intentional and foreseen part of God's plan for his son? What was God accomplishing through these pieces of the story? strange to question God's plan for Jesus. He's the God of the universe, so who are we to second-guess His agenda? But the thing that I find so interesting is that someone else seemed to second-guess the plan. That person was Jesus Himself. In Matthew 26, we get this raw glimpse of Jesus struggling with the purpose He's been called to. We find Him here, in a garden of olive trees. It's right here where we see the full humanity of Jesus on display. He said to his three disciples, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Right in this moment, you see the Son of God overwhelmed. Why? Because he knew what was coming. He knew that his purpose was about to unfold. He knew that in order to fulfill his father's agenda, something was coming that wasn't going to be easy. It was something that he hoped his father would take away from him. You can hear the anguish in his voice when he says, my father, if it's possible, May you take this cup from me while sweating drops of blood. Jesus begs and pleads with his father for a way out. Dad, I don't want to do this. Is there any other way? But then he says these words. Not as I will, but as you will. The purpose he was given required a hard road, but he submitted, always remembering his father's plan for his life. He understood the greater reason for his coming. He knew what we truly needed from him. And this scene in the garden, reveals that Jesus knew something impossibly hard about this plan. 
something that none of us would ever want to write into our own story, but something that was hinted at from the very beginning. Something that if you're paying close attention is evident from the opening scenes of the Christmas story. Bethlehem, the place where Jesus' story begins. In Luke 2, we find out that Mary and Joseph are headed here from their hometown in Nazareth. We pick up the story in Luke 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. As they arrive in Bethlehem, Mary discovers it's time to have this baby. But not too far from here, another group of people discover the same truth. We read in verse eight, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. There it is again. Jesus was born for a purpose, to be the promised one, the Messiah, the savior. But it's interesting that of all the people in the world, why would God choose to inform a group of shepherds first? Why would God pick them? Well, this is where we see the hint that makes sense of Jesus' death. This small fact is what helps us discover why God's agenda could come to a climax with a dead savior. You see, these weren't just ordinary shepherds. These shepherds' sole purpose was to raise spotless lambs that would be qualified to be sacrificed. Under the Old Testament law, forgiveness wasn't something that you could just ask for. There was a process for it. Once a year, the high priest would offer a sacrifice to God for the nation's sins. It was crucial for the sacrifice to be a perfect, spotless lamb. So it was necessary to have a group of shepherds who were dedicated to having a lamb like that. These lambs that the shepherds were raising only had one purpose. The purpose of their life was to die in order to pay the penalty of the people's sins. And now we see it. It's all coming together. God's plan was beginning to unfold even in the smallest details. God chose to give the first public announcement of the Savior's birth to a group that would symbolize His purpose. He came to these shepherds as a foreshadowing of what was to come. Jesus' death wasn't an accident. It wasn't plan B. What we find hinted at in this moment is the truth that the sacrifice Savior was always the plan. We discover that Jesus, the true, perfect Lamb of God, who would be sacrificed for the sins of the world, had arrived. John 1.29 says, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Revelation 5 says, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. 
The announcement being delivered to these shepherds was the hint. If Jesus was born to be the ultimate sacrificial lamb, who better to tell first than the shepherds whose perfect lambs would be no longer needed? Jesus is the Lamb of God, whose defining achievement is His death. You see, the sacrifice Savior was always the plan. From the start of the first Christmas story, from the moment Jesus was born, He was on a path to the cross. But as amazing as it seems to us that the Father's plan for Jesus' life could begin as early as the first Christmas, we have massively underestimated how ready God was for this moment, how unsurprised God was by His Son's death. This plan goes all the way back to the beginning, to before the world was even made. Look at what Jesus is called in Revelation 13, the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. Since creation, this was the plan. This was always the plan. And Christmas sets that plan fully into motion. Jesus was born to die, and Jesus was born to save. But He cannot save without dying. You cannot have one without the other. He had to be sacrificed, because without that death, you and I, our sins couldn't be paid for. So don't be confused by a tomb. The sacrifice Savior was always the plan. I don't know about you, but I'm a planner. It's my personality. I, I always have a plan. I have a plan for today, tomorrow, the week, my year, my five-year plan. That's just kind of how I live my life. I live it based off of a plan. And if that plan seems to fail, I always have a backup plan. And you know, it's the holiday season, tomorrow is Christmas, and really, for all of us, our holidays are filled with plans. I mean, building up to Christmas, we've had plans to make Christmas cookies. We've had plans to go look at Christmas lights. Even tomorrow, as we celebrate Christmas Day, you have plans to go to grandma and grandpa's, or mom and dad's. You have plans to give your kids those gifts you've been hiding in your basement for so long. And you know, when I think about plans, there's one area of my life that I love to plan for and dream and hope for more than any. It's with my kids. I have three babies in my house. I mean, I love to, to dream and I love to plan for my kids' future. Like to plan for my girls and, and what type of women they're going to be when they grow up, what their personalities are going to unfold and how they're going to serve God. I love to plan for my son and, and what type of man he's going to be and what God has in store for his life. I love dreaming and, and, and hoping for their future. And when it comes to my kids and my plans for them, they all include one thing, safety, protection. Because at the end of the day, I'm a dad, and, and one of my main responsibilities as a father is to protect, to watch after, to guide my children. And what's so mind-blowing to me about the Christmas story is God flips that script. You see, the Christmas story starts in, in one of the most famous passages in all of Scripture, John chapter 3, verse 16, it says this, For God so loved the world 
that he gave his one and only son. And what's so interesting about what we celebrate on Christmas is the birth. It's God giving up his son coming from heaven to earth, and we celebrate that. But what is so interesting and so mind-blowing from the perspective of a dad or a mom or a grandparent or aunt or an uncle is God's plan for his son was not protection. God's plan for his son wasn't for him to come and to be worshipped and adored. God's plan for his son was messy. It was bloody. And it was painful. And to realize that God the Father had that type of plan for his son doesn't make sense to me. Let me ask you this, moms, dads, maybe if you're single, you you think of your life and your future, but how many of us would put our children in danger's way for somebody else? I mean, you don't have to answer that. I'll just answer it for you. There's no way. I mean, I'll spend all my energy and all my money and all my time and all I got to protect my three little kids. And yet God handed over his son, not to protect him, not for him to be worshipped, but for ultimately him to die. And, and, and here's what even goes to another level. You see, you got to read the rest of John chapter 3, verse 16. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. So that if you believe in him, you shall not perish, that, but you would have eternal life. And, and I've read this verse thousands of times. Probably you have. Even if you don't come to church regularly, you've seen this verse before. I mean, Tim Tebow had it on his eyes for football games. And here's, here's the two words that just have stuck out to me as I've read it during this Christmas holiday is just two simple words. That if. That if you believe. Some translations say, whosoever believes. And here's the crazy thing. Not only did God give up his son, not only did he have a plan for him to die, but there was no guarantee to the plan. It was that if they would believe. And so God gave up his son knowing from the beginning that there would always be people who rejected him spit in his face and, and constantly and never accepted him. And man, as a dad, I just, I don't, I have trouble coming to terms with that. It's hard for me to understand that type of love because I don't know if I have it in me. If I'm just being real. And we see in John three sixteen why. It says, for God so loved. And that's a love that in our culture, in our world, we just don't get. I don't get it. Because it's a love that never fails. It's a love that goes beyond conditions. It's a love that goes beyond what you can do for me. And God just gave because he loved. Gave his most valuable possession for you and me to save us and to rescue us from our sin. There's only one condition. Belief. If you believe, and at Christmas, we believe in a lot of things. Think of your little kids. They believe in Santa. They're they're believing that there's this 
really fat guy with a big beard going to bring them gifts. We believe in him. And you can see it in kids' eyes this time of year. They believe in Santa. Even as adults, we believe. For some of us, we're believing and hoping that there's a present under the tree this year that might change what's going on in our lives today. And maybe this Christmas, we decide to believe in the one thing that can actually change our Christmas for the rest of our lives. And that is that this baby boy who God gave up for you and me has rescued us and redeemed us. And all we have to simply do is believe. God did everything else. All he requires is our belief, our acceptance of that. And so I would ask you this morning, this Christmas, do you believe? Not do you know the right answers, not do you, can you recite what happened on Christmas, but do you actually, with your heart, with all that you are, do you believe it? Do you surrender to it? Do you submit to it? And man, I just think this Christmas, I should give you an opportunity to do that if you want to. It's not something I'm going to pressure you into or, or try to manipulate you into it. I'm just going to simply give you the opportunity to do that. So at all of our campuses, I just ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads. If you're at home watching online, you can do the same thing. And if you're here this morning, or this evening, I guess it is. If you're here this evening, and you're searching for hope, and you're searching for meaning and purpose in your life this Christmas, right here it is for you. All you have to simply do is say this prayer, not check a box, not recite words that I'm saying, but believe this prayer can save you. It's as simple as this, God, I am a sinner. I'm broken, I'm messed up, and I believe the only person who can save me from my sin is your son, Jesus. I believe that he came to die for me, to pay for my sins, and he was raised to life on the third day to conquer those sins. And so God, I believe. I believe that you can forgive me of my past and my present, and you can give me a future. And so God, I pray that today you would become the forgiver of my sins and the leader of my life, my Lord, my Savior, and my Master. And I believe if you prayed that prayer and you actually meant it with your heart, God will honor that prayer. And you will celebrate Christmas completely differently. And I would just challenge you, if you said that prayer, I would just challenge you to do one thing. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to make you stand. I'm not going to make you raise your hand. I just want you to do something before Christmas Day. Tell somebody. Tell your campus pastor. You can... Let me know. Tell the person who brought you, your community group leader. Tell the person to your right or your left. I don't care who you tell, but just tell somebody that, hey, this Christmas I'm celebrating a little bit differently because my king just came into my heart. So I would love that if you would do that. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for your son. And God, thank you for your love that was willing willingly as a loving father to put your son in harm's way because you loved us, because we needed it ultimately, God. And so God, we pray for those people who made that commitment today, whether they're watching from somewhere different than Rochester, whether at one of our campuses, God, I just pray that you'd, you'd help them, that you'd walk with them, that you'd protect them, and that you'd give them just the, the, the courage to tell somebody 
today. In Jesus' name, amen.